0: Praise the Lord, good morning, and welcome to the friendly confines of Grace Church. I just want to ask that you stand as we prepare to
1: worship. It's just so good to see you all. Let's thank the Lord for what He's done this morning. Let's worship Him and praise Him for who He is.
2: I need no, no shadow, shadow. No, There's valley. There's no valley. Buddy. Where Go you ahead. won't find me. No, I am not afraid. afraid. Before me, behind me, always beside me. No shadow, no valley. Where you won't. I will make the way so I am not afraid when I am in the fire I will not
1: I feel his presence. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Praise Team, for leading us in worship this morning. They'll be back in just a few minutes to lead us in worship some more. Uh, before you're seated, I do just want to welcome all of you here this morning. We're glad you're here on campus. It's just great to worship the Lord together. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're glad that you've chosen to be a part of our service Today, Amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today is a very special day. Today is the day that we have have chosen to set aside some time in our service to honor our high school and college seniors. The graduating class of 2021. Yeah, let's hear it. I want you to know just from the outset, we're proud of you, seniors, we're proud of what you've done, the things you've accomplished, and we just want to celebrate with you today, this morning, for a few minutes. If I could speak to our, especially our high school seniors, for just a moment, I want to, just want to put a couple of things in perspective for you. You have been in school, average, give or take, 2,160 days. You've spent 12,960 hours in classes. That's about 777,600 minutes if you were counting. You've lived about 18 years. That's 216 months. It means you've been breathing about 936 weeks. You've slept about 52,500 hours. And you've spent 7,488 hours eating. Probably mostly pizza, if I had to guess. But here's the thing. When it's all said and done, you were born wrinkled, bald, toothless, crying, and complaining. So I would say today, you've come a long way. Congratulations on your success. You have come a long way. There are many definitions of success. And I guess the one that I like the most is is John Wooden, his definition for his life. Long before he won 88 consecutive basketball games and 38 consecutive NCAA tournament games, both records, by the way, before he was named the NCAA College Basketball Coach of the Year on six occasions, and before he was the first person to be elected as a player and a coach to the Hall of Fame, he framed what success would look like in his life and he said this he said success is the peace of mind in knowing that you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming and I love that definition of success because at the end of the day you really can only do your best right you can't do somebody else's best they can't do your best you can only do your best and the rest will fall into place so I I really think that's a great perspective here this morning in terms of success And all of you, I hope, can say sitting here today that you have done your best to succeed and do your best in graduating from high school and college, as the case may be. That being a tremendous definition of earthly success, I believe the Word of God gives us an even greater definition of success, not only in this life, but in our spiritual walk with God. It's found in Joshua chapter 22... And here there is an account uh, of Joshua giving charge to two and a half tribes. It's the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He's discharging them from war. They have been fighting, and their fight is over. Earlier, they had received their inheritance from Moses with the, with the, with the caveat, the, the condition, that they go and assist the other tribes in, in, in uh, conquest and in, in obtaining their inheritance. Now, these two and a half tribes have done that. They've succeeded. They've met their goal. They, they, have, they have served with great honor and dignity. And Joshua compliments them for their obedience, their faithfulness, and their loyalty. And then Joshua gives them this charge. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture, especially as we consider graduation this morning. Joshua 22, verses 5 and 6. Joshua says to these warriors, he says, But take diligent heed to the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave or cling unto him, and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. Here, Joshua gives several things that I think we could take note of this morning and apply them to our lives. They're great principles of leadership. They're great principles of life. First of all, your relationship with God must be nurtured. He says, love the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Above all, whatever you pursue, graduates, whatever you, whatever you de- uh, decide to do in life, your relationship with God is number one and it must be nurtured. Second, your respect for the word of God must be overriding. Joshua charged them to keep God's command. We must have a respect and a place in our life for the word of God and apply its principles. Third, your reliance on God must be maintained. We must never lose our ability to lean on God and to trust him with our life. Joshua says cling or cleave unto God. We must be willing at all times to rely on him. And then finally, Joshua says, your readiness to serve must be your focus. He says, serve God with all your heart. We must always have a servant's heart, serving God and also serving others. That's the way to achieve true success in this life. So love, walk, keep, cling, and serve. All of these are great action words that would serve us all well. In, in our Christian life, but especially those who are graduating today and have so much life ahead, ahead of them. So, just like with so many things in life, graduation is an ending, it is an accomplishment, but it's also a beginning, isn't it? it, it you really are today, graduates, graduating into the next phase of your life. And so, some of you, you're gonna go for more studies. Some of you are going to go out into the real world. But whatever your choice is and whatever your next step is, I do want to just challenge you with the words of the psalmist found in Scripture. Psalm 37, verse 5, he says, Commit thy way, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Isn't that a marvelous promise? I think so. I think it's a great way to live your life, to plan your life and to look to the future. So God bless you today, graduates. We're, we're so happy for you. Again, from Grace Church, congratulations on a job well done. So what we're going to do today, we're going to honor our graduates. We have a, we have a gift for you, and uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to make a presentation. I'm going to call their names, talk a little bit about their accomplishments. And so uh, as, as that process begins, when I call your name, I'm going to ask you to stand and make your way uh, to the graduation table over there, pastor's going to greet you. He's going to he's going to have a little something for you. But then after you've received your gift, graduates, I'm going to ask if you would just line up here uh, and stand in front of the uh, in front of the platform. And uh, when we're when we're done calling everyone's name, we want to pray over you this morning and ask God to be with you. So as we honor our graduates today, and uh, and talk a little bit about them, brag on them a little bit, if I could say it that way. Um, I want to I want to begin by honoring Brooklyn Groan. Now Brooklyn could not be here today, but Brooklyn is the daughter of Jonathan Groan. And we're so proud of her. She's graduating from West Washita High School in West Monroe as valedictorian of her class. And so we are so proud of Brooklyn Groan today. That's right. And She will be, uh, as far as her future plans, she is going to be attending the University of Louisiana at Monroe and majoring in medical laboratory science. So uh, we wish her Godspeed in her future studies. All right, graduates that are, we're going to turn now to our graduates that are present. Again, I would like for you to, to come and be recognized, and Pastor has a gift for you. We're going to start with Ethan Cooper this morning. Ethan is graduating from Live Oak High School. Now, if you'll settle in and uh, grab you a, a lunch and, and a cold drink, I'm going to talk to you about Ethan's accomplishments for the next 35 minutes. He has been an active member of Beta Club, Student Council, Eagle Ambassador, and in addition to being named Live Oak High's 2021 Student of the Year, Ethan was also voted most likely to succeed by his peers. Great job, Ethan. He has maintained a 4.52 GPA wow. while taking 14 advanced placement courses, seven honors courses, and one dual enro- enrollment course. Ethan has already been honored as an AP scholar with distinction, and he has not yet completed five more AP courses in which he is currently enrolled. Ethan, you're going to be running the world one day, buddy. <laughs> he plans to attend LSU this fall to major in computer science for a future Career in software development. Great job, Ethan. We honor you today. (laughs) Leah Neff. Leah, we are so proud of you. Leah is graduating from Central High School. And she's going to be attending LSU where she will pursue a degree in biology. Awesome, Leah. Good job. Avery Sledge, so proud of Avery. Come on down, Avery. She's graduating from Live Oak High School. And Avery will be attending Baton Rouge Community College and majoring in business. Great job, Avery, we're proud of you today. AJ Stokes, come on down, AJ. AJ's graduating from Northeast High School. and AJ is going to be attending LSU as well. Christian Stokes. Come on down. Christian's graduating from Live Oak High School and he is planning to pursue a degree in music production. Proud of Christian. And Brittany Humphrey proud of you today. Brit- <laughs> Britley, I should say is our as co- uh, our college graduate today. She's graduating from LSU with a bachelor's degree in Spanish. Yeah. And in just a couple of months, she's going to be trying out for the Olympics. Yes, you heard right, trying out for the Olympics, and she also has an, inter- an, uh, an internship in Mexico where she'll be working as a translator. So we're very proud of Britley's accomplishments. Good job. <laughs> so what I'd like us to do today, church, if you would stand with me, and I'm going to also ask our ministry team to help us. Uh, as, as much as we've talked about their accomplishments, we've given them a charge today from the word of God, we want to send them off with a word of prayer. And having prayed over them as a church body, I just think that's a, a great way to conclude this part of the service. So if our ministry team will help us, and if you'll stretch your hand towards these graduates, we're just going to pray over them today that God would go with them, give them godspeed speed, and order their steps. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence that's in this place today. You are good, Lord. You've done great things. And, Lord, I'll just, I'll just say you've brought them safe this far. Lord, you've ordered their steps. You've brought them to this point in time. And, Lord, as we look back and say thank you and celebrate your goodness, we also look forward and know that we can't take a single step without you. And, Lord, every step has to be ordered of the Lord. We commit their way to you today, Jesus, as a church As their church family, as their community of faith, we commit their way to you. And so I pray a covering over them. I pray the blood of Jesus would be a hedge of protection over them. And I pray, God, that you would make their path secure, make their steps secure, order their steps open doors where they need to be opened, and make their way safe in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, would you just say with me in Jesus' name? Clap your hands one more time. Thank you, graduates. Brother Ben's coming now to lead us in our service.
0: Praise the Lord, you may be seated. I commented to Brother Jason as I was hearing all of the accolades for our young graduates. I'm probably going to be working for them before long. It's amazing. Congratulations! I was thinking also about expectations. You know, these young people are going out in the world, and they have expectations of success, and I believe that God can be with them, and they can be, but he has to be first in their life. Praise the Lord. Only a few things I need to go over with you this morning. We have pre-registration for youth camps in June. I'm so glad that we have our youth camps back open going. It's now open at the LA District UPC website, and there are limited spaces available, so if you want your uh, young people to participate. Please uh, take care of that as quickly as possible. Monday, May 3rd at 714, we are continuing with United Family Prayer Time at Home. On Tuesday, May 4th, the, we will have our first Tuesday evening prayer at 730 in this sanctuary. If you're able, please attend. On Sunday, May 9th, we have Mother's Day. Please remember your mother. And on and Threads of Grace, we'll meet at uh, CC's Coffee House at 1379 Corsi Boulevard each Monday evening from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. I'd like to say one more thing before I'm seated about expectations. You came here this morning and, and no doubt some of you knew that they were going to have a ceremony for our graduates and you expected that An expectation was fulfilled. And no doubt that you you think that and, and know that there are going to be some worship songs in just a few moments and you're going to be able to participate in that so that expectation will be fulfilled. But does your expectation go beyond that? Because you serve a great God. I have a God that if you came here with an expectation of liberty, the Scripture says with the Spirit of God, is the liberty, there is liberty. If you came here expecting deliverance, you can leave this place with deliverance. Whatever your need may be, I pray that your expectations extend into the Almighty. Can we lift our voices and worship the Lord this morning?
3: just with me, but on the inside of me. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today, anybody? Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Great to see everybody. Uh, We do congratulate all of our graduates. So proud of you guys and uh, so thankful that God has his hand on your life and I believe he's going to guide your footsteps as long as you let him. Amen. Thank the Lord. I want to thank Sister Landry and Brother Tom Laidlaw for their amazing work on this. Everything was done so well, so beautifully. Brother Dave, thank you for doing such an amazing, amazing job here this morning. I want to go right to the Word of God today. In John chapter 4, my heart's burning. Uh, I believe that God wants to minister to some people here today. And we would be remiss in not allowing that to happen. John chapter 4 and verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him. He begged him that he would come down from Cana to Capernaum and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, go thy way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. I don't know if you grasp the content of that. We're going to dive into that in a few moments. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son lives. And then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, about one o'clock, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come down out of Judea into Galilee. I want to preach to you today with a heart of fire, the journey between the prayer and the answer. The journey between the prayer and the answer. I do want to thank one of my most favorite authors, Max Locato, for the inspiration for this message. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Before I get into my message today, what I've, I've come to preach, uh, I, I feel compelled to share with you some thoughts about John and his gospel. John has some stories for us to ponder. He interwove a tapestry of miracles. At the end of his book, towards the end of the book, he said, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Life-giving belief, John said. This is what John wants to write about in his gospel. Abundant, robust, resilient faith. He is saying that life happens when we believe. We find strength beyond our strength. We accomplish tasks beyond our capacity. We see solutions beyond our wisdom. Belief is not some respectful salute to a divine being. Belief happens when we place our confidence in God. It is a decision to lean entirely upon the strength of a living and loving Savior, to the extent that we truly have life in His name. This is the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed according to John and why John chooses to write about them. John recounted signs, each one intended to stir conviction in this promise, Jesus essentially saying, You and I, you and I, Jesus is saying, are never, ever alone. Was this not one of the final promises of Christ before He ascended into heaven? He assured His disciples, I am with you always. I don't, I'm not sure we grasp that to the point that we really embrace it, believe it, etc. These words must have meant everything to John. I want you to picture the aged apostle as he shares his stories. He's an old man, hair silver, skin wrinkled. But his eyes are still full of hope. He pastors a church in Ephesus. He loves to tell and they love to hear about the day some six decades earlier and about a thousand miles away when Jesus invited him to lay down his fishing net. He did and he followed him. So did Peter and Andrew and James, but they're gone now. They've lived, they've they've long since fulfilled their mission and finished their lives and now only john remains john likely knowing his days are coming to an end as well he takes on one final task to write about the life of christ mark's gospel is already by now in circulation matthew and luke have compiled their accounts of the life of christ and now john wants to do the same but His gospel will be a little bit different. He seeks to tell stories they didn't and add details to the stories they did tell. He selects for his gospel a cross-section of signs or miracles. He takes us to Cana to sample some wine, then to Capernaum to watch a father embrace his son he feared would die. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. We feel the fury In the book of John, of an angry storm in Galilee, and hear the murmur of a hungry crowd on a hillside. We watch the paralytic stand up and a blind man look up. And before John is done, he will lead us through two cemeteries and near one cross and invite us to eavesdrop on a breakfast chat that changed the life of an apostle. John's chosen miracles run the gamut from a wedding oversight to a violent execution from empty bellies and to empty dreams, from abandoned hopes to buried friends. And we will be careful to see the signs as John designs them to be seen, not as entries in a playbook, but as samples from God's playbook. All these events stand together as one voice, calling on us to lift our eyes, to open our hearts. To the possibility, indeed the reality, that the greatest force in the universe is one who means us well and brings us hope. John recorded them not to impress us, but to urge us to believe in the tender presence and mighty power of Christ. This montage of miracles proclaims God's got this. I submit to all of us today that we are stronger than we think because God is nearer than we know. Hallelujah. Jesus touched wounds and spoke words of hope lives were improved blessings were bestowed there was a message to his and his all of his miracles I am here and I care I want to present to you today what John presented as Jesus second miracle so let me begin with a story about a man a different man and a new unusual man his name was Bill Irwin was not the first person to ever walk the Appalachian Trail he was not the only individual to begin in Springer Mountain, Georgia and conclude on Mount Katahdin, Maine. Other adventuresome souls have hiked the 2,100 miles, endured the snow, the heat, the rain, slept on the ground, forded streams, shivered in the cold. Bill Irwin was not the first to accomplish this feat, but he was the first in this respect. He was blind. He was 50 years old. When in 1990 he set out on the hike, a recovering alcoholic and on some level committed to Christianity. He memorized 2 Corinthians 5:7 when the apostle said for we walk by faith and not by sight. He made this his mantra and that is what he did. He did not use maps or GPS or a compass. It was just Irwin and his German shepherd dog and the rugged terrain of the mountains. He estimated that he fell some 5,000 times, which translates into an average of 20 times a day. For eight months, he fell. He battled hypothermia, cracked his ribs, skinned his hands and knees more times than he could count. But he made it. He made it. He made the long walk by faith and not by sight. And here today, I submit to you that we're doing the same. Probably not on the trail of the Appalachians, but in the trials of life. You're walking not on the path between Georgia and Maine. No, you're walking on a road even steeper and even longer. It's the road between a prayer and its answer. Between supplication and celebration between bent knees and lifted hands, between tears of fear and tears of joy, between God help me and thank you God. Do you know the road that I'm talking about? Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? How it grows dark with doubts how despair tags along as an uninvited companion. If you can relate, you'll find the story that I'm presenting to you challenging and inspiring. The Bible said, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water to wine and there was a certain man, a certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum and when he heard that Jesus was come out into Judea, into Galilee, he went unto him. He besought him he begged him that he would come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death now I want you to listen carefully to the rest the father was a man of high standing in the court of King Herod he was likely a Gentile his modern-day counterpart might be the White House chief of staff or a presidential cabinet member he held a position of status And oversaw a house full of servants. But none of that mattered. For he had a son who was very sick. The son was a child, just a lad. No doubt the prominent aristocrat had summoned the finest physicians to help the boy. But nobody could. His son still teetered on the brink of death. This man lived in Capernaum, a fishing village that served as a base of operations for Jesus. Peter had a home there. Jesus was known to speak in its synagogue. It's not hard to imagine a villager suggesting to the distraught father, ask the Nazarene to help your son. He has healing power because now Jesus was already well known in Capernaum. However, however, where the nobleman lived in Capernaum, Jesus was 18 miles away In Cana of Galilee. Eighteen miles nowadays is no big deal. There's probably people here today that drove further than 18 miles to get to church. But back then, the transportation was not like it is now. The official set out. He gave his son's fevered brow a kiss and his anxious wife a promise. And he headed northeast around the Sea of Galilee a trek that required food, planning, and for the protection detail. A pre-dawn departure would get him to Cana by sundown. If he left at midday, he would have to spend the night in an inn or take up lodging in a barred room. Either way, either way he could not enjoy the walk, stop to see the sights, or visit with anyone along the path. By the time he spotted Jesus in Cana, the official was no doubt weary and worried. The NLT says he went and begged. Jesus. Begged Jesus. Do you understand today with this man's status, his position, his title, how uncomfortable, how so far out of his box of the norm this would be that a man of his position would fall down at the feet of another man and beg. Everybody say, beg. He begged. Traveled all the way from Capernaum, 18 miles, to Cana. Just to ask Jesus to heal his son who was about to die. And he begged him to do it. Straightforward was this request. It was urgent. He didn't mention his position, rank, or title. He didn't promise to make a financial contribution to the cause of Christ. He didn't imply that he was worthy of divine assistance. He just came to Jesus as a desperate father father. He begged Jesus to come to Capernaum. I know people, I know people who use the word begged frequently. But they don't use the word like this man demonstrated. I've known of no one that's ever used the word begged have fallen down at the feet of anybody with tears streaming down. I want you to get the picture. This man is desperate beyond description. He's got money, he's got clout, he's got influence, but it's not worth anything in the face of his son dying. So I envision the man on his knees, perhaps on his face on the ground, imploring Jesus to return with him back to Capernaum to heal his son. But notice with me here today, he not only had a request, but the man had already formulated a plan of action. In his mind, in his mind, he and Jesus would walk side by side 18 miles from Cana to Capernaum until they stood beside the dying boy. The response of Jesus is very surprising. He's got a man at his feet begging And he said, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? To that I say, my goodness. (laughs) I did not see this starchy question coming from Jesus at a time like this. Had I said something like that, as pastor, you'd be offended and leave. Jesus is telling the man and perhaps the crowd around him To be careful, he waved a caution flag against contingent faith or faith with contingencies. What prompted this response out of Jesus? Perhaps the attitude of the villagers. They took note of the arriving official with this, With an entourage in tow, they learned of his dying son and the plan to solicit the assistance of Jesus. They followed him, not out of concern for his son, but out of just sheer fascination of what Jesus was going to do. This was Cana, after all, if I'll remind you of that. Perhaps the water to wine miracle was already on the streets and had already gone around the town two or three times. Perhaps they were hoping to see another display of, of power. Come on, Jesus. Show us what you can do. Show us what you got. Maybe that's why the answer to this prayer was 18 miles away, outside of Aishad. Or perhaps Jesus saw the contingent faith in the request of the Father, the Man not only asked for help, but he also told Jesus the way the help should be administered. You come to Capernaum with me and heal my son. And as a high-ranking official, he was accustomed to giving these kind of directives. He told subordinates what to do and how to do it. Was he not doing the same thing with Jesus? Was his belief in Christ contingent upon the willingness of Christ to answer his prayer the way he wanted him to? For whatever reason, Jesus felt a warning was in order. In his first miracle, Jesus rewarded the unconditional whatever faith of Mary. Mary said, do whatever he says. But in this miracle, he cautioned against conditional faith of the people. The father did not reply to this caution. His heart was a dozen exits down the highway already. He did not dispute the fact that Some people demand miracles. He simply wanted to stay focused on the task at hand. And the father pleaded with Jesus, Please come now before my boy dies. What you folks have to understand is I have Brother and Sister Wheeler in the back of my mind right now. And the death of their son Josh. I'm thinking of Dave and Farrah Bunch and their son Dawson. And I'm thinking of my own son who was dying in the hospital when he was 16 years old. So I can relate personally and through experience with other people what this man must have been feeling. His appeal could hardly be more genuine. His direction could hardly have been more clear. Come now! And Jesus responded to it. Jesus responded to it. He said... Go back home and your son will live. Hallelujah. Praise God. A reason to rejoice. Such great news. Or was it? Was it? Jesus answered the man's prayer. Or did he? Did he? The nobleman had reason to rejoice. Then again, maybe not. The man asked Jesus to go with him back to Capernaum, but Jesus told him to go back home and your son will live. So this was the moment of truth for this father. The moment he set out on the longest walk of his life. The prayer he prayed was in Cana, but the answer was 18 miles away in Capernaum. He did not know. What Jesus would do, and even if Jesus would do anything, maybe what Jesus was just trying to get rid of him. Somewhere along the line, the nobleman had to trust and obey. And it's easier said than done. The road between the prayer its answer perhaps a nobleman turned on a dime and floated home on the magic carpet of faith maybe he high-fived his way down the path shouting my dying son will live perhaps he slept like a baby that night and woke with joy the next morning the sun was shining the sky was blue and he skipped and whistled all the way home to Capernaum if he did that he was probably a better man than me I think I'd have swallowed really hard and At Jesus' reply, and I'd have looked first at Jesus, and then that long road back to Capernaum. First one way at Jesus, another way back towards home. What if when he arrived at Capernaum, his son wasn't better? What if the Messiah had moved on to another city before the Father could even find him again? But he made his choice. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believed in the spoken word of Jesus. And as he was now going down, his servants met him, the Bible said, and told him, saying, Thy son lives. Then he inquired of him the hour when he began to amend. And they said, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Your son lives. And he himself believed. And so did his whole house. Good news from the servants was met with a good question from the father. What time did he start getting better? And the reply was at 1 o'clock, the very time that Jesus had spoken the word. So Jesus had worked a long-distance miracle of healing. The miracle was not just in the life of the boy, but in the saving faith of the entire household. Isn't that what Jesus desired? Listen to pastor. A physical healing was an unspeakable gift for sure. But the boy did eventually die. I don't know anybody that's 2,000 years old from Galilee. Do you? The life-giving miracle. Listen to pastor. You. you there's people here today, you've got to catch this. The life-giving miracle giving miracle of Jesus was short-term. But the faith-giving miracle of Jesus was eternal. I don't know if we get that or not. I appreciate your beautiful and very kind and generous response to that. I Uh, I know too many people that want God to do miracle stuff in their life but they don't want to do what God wants them to do it's kind of one-sided and Jesus was making a statement if you will trust in me and obey me your son will live now take the path back home and it'll be okay and the man believed and trusted. He didn't try to strike a deal. He didn't want Jesus to compromise and make it a little easier. He didn't want to affirm that Jesus meant everything he said and the word of God and the law of Moses and all that. He just said, okay, and turned his way and went back to his house. This is the issue of not yet answered prayer or Not answered prayer in the way I asked prayer. When we request plan A and Jesus responds with plan B, how should we react? The Father set a precedent. The Father became an example. How do we find the strength to do our lives, to do in our lives what Bill Irwin did in the Appalachians? Do we walk by faith? And when we are thus far blind to the solution, this man couldn't see what was happening in his house 18 miles away. So let me approach this topic very gently with you folks today. Before I suggest an answer, I want to sincerely today say to all of you, that I'm sorry we have to discuss this question. I'm sorry that probably every person sitting in this building right now has a yet-to-be-answered prayer. I don't know if there's anybody here that's had every single prayer you've ever prayed in your life answered, and you're good. I look across this building. I see people who have been prayed for. They've asked for miracles, Shaquana. I have thought about you over and over and over with Jada. i sat back there and look at Natalie, and I could go all across this building with people who's prayed for miracles of healing over and over and over again. And you're still waiting for that prayer to be answered. I want to apologize today that your prayers have not yet been answered. I'm sorry for the job that you applied for did not materialize. I'm sorry your spouse did not apologize when they should have, and I'm certainly sorry the cancer chose to metastasize for some. I'm sorry here today for all of us who are somewhere between Cana and Capernaum. Life has its share of dark, dank moments, and Jesus will not remove all the pain this side of heaven. Did somebody tell you otherwise? Did someone assure you that God permits only blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams? If so, they misspoke. If you read the Bible from the table of contents in the front all the way to the back where you find the maps, you will not find any promise of a pain-free life on this side of death. But you will find this assurance. The writer of Hebrews said, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee and I will never forsake thee. When the father reached Capernaum, he made a wonderful discovery the presence and power of Jesus had gone ahead of him. He might have thought he was walking the road alone, but quite the contrary. Jesus had supernaturally gone into the nobleman's residence and not only healed the son, but in one sweep of his hand won the hearts Of everybody that was in that house. Was this man's prayer answered? You better believe it was. But it was answered. In a manner. That was even greater. Than what the man asked for. Jesus gave him more. Than he asked for. And I want to assure everybody here. Yours will be as well. Yes, it will. Perhaps the answer will come this side of heaven, but perhaps it awaits on you on the other side of heaven. Like it did for my brother's four-year-old granddaughter who died a very tragic death. Everybody prayed and fasted for her healing, and it didn't come, but I listened to her pastor preached so eloquently at her funeral about a pre-tragedy miracle, a mid-tragedy miracle, and a post-tragedy miracle. She got a post-tragedy miracle because she is strolling the streets of gold even today in a body that's well and whole and complete. So whether you get your miracle here or not, if you continue to trust and obey, you you will get your miracle. The psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help. Very present help in trouble. Don't you love that phrase? Ever present. Not occasionally. Not sporadic. You will never be put on hold or told, to check back later. God, I'm preaching with all my heart today. God is never too busy or preoccupied or away on a prior engagement. The writer said, God is. God is ever present. But He is also ever-present, as near as your next breath. He's closer to you than your own skin. The psalmist said, whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I free flee from thy presence if I ascend up into heaven? Thou art there, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night is light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as a day and the darkness as a light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. There's nobody here today out from under the presence of God. Nobody. It's not possible. You could leave this planet and fly to the furthest star. And you'd still find The omnipresence of God enveloping you even in that place that's dark and distant from this planet. So as you journey from the last prayer meeting, as you got up and walked away from the last altar call and you prayed your heart out that God would make your marriage better, that He'd give you a better job, that He'd help with your finances, that He would heal your body, that He would heal your family, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, it doesn't matter, Sister Sarah, that He would heal your son. When you start that journey from the prayer to its answer, God said, I will never leave you. I am an ever-present And whether you get your miracle or not I'm with you and I'm still going to get you through it stand with me this morning could it be a rehab clinic he don't stand outside the door until you come back out he's there even in prison he's present no boarding room is too superior. No brothel is too vulgar. No palace is too royal. No slum is too common. Luke said in the book of Acts, he wrote that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He is present, and he is present to you, fill in the blood. He's present to help, not hurt, not harm, not hinder. He is here to help. That's the message of the miracle of the dad with the sick son. So do your days feel like a hike on the Appalachian Trail in the dead of winter? Is it all you can do to place one foot in front of the other If so, I urge you to hang on, to hold on. Don't give up. Help is here. It may not come in the manner you requested or as quickly as you desire, but it'll come. come. So believe that something good is going to happen. The door to tomorrow is unlocked from the inside. Turn the knob and step out. The divine artist isn't finished. The earth earth is his studio. Every person on earth is one of his projects. Every event on earth is part of his great mural. He's not finished. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Until the day of Christ, this life contains... Many walks from Cana to Capernaum. Journeys between prayers prayed and prayers answered. Jesus promised the boys, Father, a sure blessing at the end of the journey. And He promises the same for us. He will meet this Father. We'll all meet Him when we get to heaven. And when we do, I'd like to ask Him about that walk. How was it, man? Brother, noble man. Tell me about that 18 miles back to Capernaum. Tell me how you went through cycles of doubt and questioning. And Am I wasting my time? Do I need to kind of get word to my wife quicker to turn to the yellow pages and start looking for another doctor? I don't know if Jesus is going to do. I'm talking to somebody right now. I don't know how many times people have come to me, scores of times since I've pastored for many years, and they said, God promised me he was going to do this or that, and God promised, and he said. And I'm still clinging to that promise. I'm thinking of a lady right now that testified in her name was Sister Parker from the First Church in Baton Rouge. A lot of you know her. I can't imagine how many times she felt like God promised her things, but one was the saving of some family members, and she died without promise, without that promise ever being brought to pass. But it doesn't mean God did not keep his word because after she passed, some of those family members did come back to God. I want to thank this man for believing Jesus, for taking him at his word. Jesus said go home and your son will live and he did and he did the man obeyed and he trusted God knows we're all human I go through situations sometimes where my knees are so weak I can hardly stand up it just seems like God's a million miles away anybody know what I'm talking about? I'll share with you quickly was sitting on my front porch looking out over literally a field of weeds pondering this message pondering this thought sister murphy had told me and there's reasons why i'm nervous about it and some of you know that but sister murphy had already said there was a I believe a 60% chance of rain wednesday 40 50% chance of rain thursday When I got up Tuesday morning, I heard a dove cooing outside—a sound I'd not heard in a long time. And I opened the door to affirm that's what it was. And I said, "God, I'm all ears if you're speaking to me. I've not heard that in a long time." And I felt the peace of God I'm sharing my heart with you right now. It's silly, it's trivial to you, but it meant everything to me. I fixed me a cup of coffee, got my dog and we went out on the porch and I sat there for a long time and fought back tears of inspiration meditation thinking on the greatness of God I remember reading the story that Max Lucado wrote in his book he said his little granddaughter got in some bushes one time and got stuck she lifted up her hands and said, Papa Max, save me. And he asked, What do you think I did? You think I left her there? You think I told her, You got yourself in this situation, you get out of it? He said, Absolutely not. I walked over and put my hands gently under her arms and lifted her out of the bushes. When I read that story, I asked God, could you hold off the rain for a while, just hold it off for a while. He did till the wee hours of the morning He did 50 60 percent chance of rain Wednesday. It didn't rain a drop at my house, nor Thursday, nor Friday. I was able to do some things that I've been wanting to do for a long time because God honored my. Now, to you, that's silly and it it's trivial, but my point is that God every facet of your life what I had to do Tuesday was believe the request that I made and I lived out Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday trusting what would happen if you did the same I'm not going to worry about the job and the marriage and all that stuff I'm truly going to put it in the hands of God because I know he's going to answer in his time. And when he does, it's going to be far better. It's going to be a far better answer than what I could have ever formulated. So, Natalie, I say to you today, I I hope I'm not embarrassing you in any way, but you're heavy on my heart. I don't know what God has planned, but I know you and Darren have traveled a long ways since y'all prayed that prayer the first time for healing. But I promise you it's coming. Whether it's in this life or the life to come, you're going to get that miracle. You're going to get it. But it's imperative that you trust Him and you obey Him. And how many others are here this morning? Many of you fellows prayed for things. Children, future. Many of y'all prayed for things, and it seems like God doesn't care. He hasn't done squat. Does that mean he's not going to? So as they're playing and singing softly, I'm going to ask some people, if you really believe this, I preached the word of God today. I preached the book. If there's a prayer that you'd like to have answered, would you be willing to come pray it one more time and then walk out of this building where he answers it right now or not, but you're going to walk out of this building and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Again, in Your Word, to see that come to pass. Anybody? Would you like to come pray one more time? In front of this building's open. Here comes. Here comes. Here comes a lot of people. Come give it to God. Come give your marriage to God again. Come give that job situation to God again. Come give your future to God again. Come give the desires of your heart to God again, and see. What God will do, there's plenty of room at the front. Do you want it? You can beg him if you want. You can do what the man did. You can get on your face if you want. You can kneel if you want, whatever it takes. But I'm here to submit to somebody that if you're trusting, you'll get what God has promised. He'll bring it to pass. He'll bring it
2: to pass.
3: Sing, folks, sing. Come on, Grace Church, can you do this again? Can you pray more one more time? To Can you believe God one more time? Rolling Can you trust God Bibles again?
2: For you have never
3: going to live my life full of trust. going to live my life full of confidence. Your
2: promise still
3: stands. Great is your faithfulness. He's a faithful God. He's a loving God. Come on, somebody. Reach heaven right now. Reach heaven right now. Pray that prayer one more time. And say, God, I'm still believing. I'm still trusting. I'm going to give you all I've got. I'm trusting you for my kids, for my family. I'm trusting you, God, for every aspect of my life. It's all in your hands right now.